always make sure if the Lord impresses upon your heart a call to missions, that first and foremost, you make sure that your relationship with Him is where it ought to be. For 2,000 years, Christ has been extending His kingdom through ordinary, faithful people. Their blood, sweat, and tears are the seeds of the global church. The gospel is spreading across the world, saving sinners, renewing nations, and changing everything. But today, many in the modern church are weak, torn, comfortable. The book of Hebrews says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses watching us from heaven, spurring us on. The stories of these faithful Christ followers who've gone before us are what we need to wake up and return to our first love for Christ's mission. Let's learn from them. On this episode of Cloud of Witnesses, we learn about the life and ministry of ABWE missionaries Dave and Becky Nelson, who served with ABWE for multiple decades in both mission aviation and later in administration in the Philippines. I'm David Nelson, the son of Dr. Link Nelson, grew up as an MK in the Philippines and had the privilege of going back as a missionary pilot. Hello, my name is Becky Nelson. That's how most people know me that worked with me in the Philippines on the field. I always had a love for flying ever since I was a young missionary kid in the Philippines, watching the DC-3s fly in and land at our little Malaybalay airport as I continued into college, I sort of set the flying possibility on the side and went into studies with mathematics and with Bible and uh, actually got quite interested in the concept of uh, missions when we had a, a number of missionary speakers that were quite, quite gifted and encouraging young people to not write off missions right now, but to always consider how God might use you on the mission field. And so I began to pray and ask God, would you use me on the field? In fact, at one point I committed myself to be willing to go if God would call. But somehow it was difficult for MK, who loved the field and enjoyed his time there, to know whether it was God's call or a longing just to go back and see the old country that I grew up in. And that was one of those things I had to really ponder over counsel over and pray over what is God calling me to do. During our time at Cedarville, he felt the Lord was calling him to the mission field. And as a young girl, I said to the Lord, Lord, if you want me to be a missionary, I'll go, but I need to have a man who's willing to go too. I truly didn't feel a burden to go as a single girl. Well, Dave went forward at the same missions conference that I did, and we committed our lives to foreign service. And he told me all about his history with his mom and dad and how he wanted to be a missionary pilot in order to help not only his father, but the hospitals in the Philippines that they had. As Christians, we're all called to proclaim the name of Jesus to the nations, whether that's on the other side of the world or in our own backyard. As Becky was stirred to missions, she was also burdened with the importance of ensuring that her first mission would be to her children. 
sharing the love of Christ with them, pointing them to Christ, for them to place their faith in Him. When the Lord impressed upon me this, He also gave me a real burden for my children, that they were the first ones that I would be responsible for in teaching them about Jesus. And that burden in my heart was very, very strong. After Cedarville, we married, and then Dave uh, went to flight school. Our children began to come. And shortly after that, we went with ABWE because that was the mission that Dave felt would be the best for us to apply to and the one his parents were with. So we went through candidate classes. We left our little boy behind, which was a very great hardship for me. And we left him for a month with my mother and father, not too far away. And I had one bun in the oven, so to speak. <laughs> and he went with us to candidate classes. Anyway, shortly after that summer at seven, in 75, we uh, were accepted into the mission and then we went to the field in 1977, February of 1977, started language school right away. On the last day of language school, I lost a baby. I had a miscarriage and I was in shock. Um, the doctor told me that there was nothing we could have done to prevent it. And as the Lord often does, He sends Christian people in our path to help strengthen us along the way. And she said, this Christian Chinese doctor said, there's nothing that can be done and we'll just thank the Lord that He took the baby and well, we won't know till heaven. Well, I had to accept that. I couldn't argue with the face of a Christian Chinese doctor, but nevertheless, it was hard. I had to wake up the next morning, pack up my house and move out and fly to another island. I struggled with that miscarriage for a long, long time and didn't properly grieve for that baby for years. And even now, I think of that baby as a certain age in their 40s and it makes me look more forward to heaven. But I would say to people who are preparing for the field that those things are real and always make sure if the Lord impresses upon your heart a call to missions, that first and foremost, you make sure that your relationship with Him is where it ought to be. I can honestly say that that was not true in my case. But as the years went by, the Lord brought things into my life that gave evidence of His power and His love for me. And I truly believe that the Lord wants us to be holy more than He wants us to be happy. And many people listening to this can probably agree with the fact that there are a lot of hardships on the mission field but there are a lot of joys as well. The Nelsons began their mission work in the city of Malibele, giving the Nelsons children the chance to grow up on the stomping grounds of their father, Dave. Malibele was a 
was a good place to begin ministry because it would be sunshiny in the morning and every afternoon it would cloud up and rain. But it was a very pleasant climate, very pleasant, temp- almost temperate. Mm-hmm. And our boys loved it. And of course, they learned the language very quickly. And they learned to play with Filipino kids and learn some Filipino words, mostly good words, some that were not appropriate <laughs> words. But they did learn some Filipino words and would share them with each other. They would enjoy going to the river. We were only half a mile away from the Sawaga River where they had a swimming hole that I had swum in as a small boy. And now my boys would swim in that same river. We had a tennis court that I had designed and we had built right there on the base, uh, our hospital compound. And not only did our boys learned to play so well that they eventually beat their dad and had to get a new tennis racket as a reward, but it was worth it. It was really worth it. Uh, Filipino after Filipino asked if they could learn and they would buy a tennis racket somewhere in one of the cities and bring it and come onto our court and play tennis with us so that they could learn the skills of how to serve and how to uh, share in doubles the responsibility of keeping that ball in play. And it was really an enjoyable thing to to see them get involved in something like that. And had all kinds of activities that we shared with the Filipino workers that, that worked with us there on the compound, the medical missions compound. Yes, we did have some Dave, scary incidents. Dave soon began his flight ministry there in Malibali, and it was about 500 feet. 200 yards, yeah, 200 yards, about 200 yards from our home where I operated the radio, the two-way radio, but I couldn't see him take off because there were too many trees in the way. This one particular time, he had been gone for several days and the boys were very eager to see their dad at the end. So I told them that they could go out to the airstrip, but they could not go beyond the fence. There was a fence with an opening in it, and they had to stay behind the fence until the propeller was shut off. And I had to wait until Dave shut down the airplane before I cleared the radio. So I waited for that, and I let the boys go, and he will tell the rest of the story because I didn't see it. I wasn't there. Well, I was. Yes, I were. was sitting behind the controls, bringing the plane slowly through the off ramp that comes to, on the side of the airstrip to go toward the hangar. And suddenly I saw our little fuzzy headed three year old, was he? Mm-hmm. Running toward the plane to greet daddy. And I knew I didn't want him coming any closer because that propeller would do some horrible damage, if not immediate death for our little guy if he got any closer. So I immediately pulled the controls to shut off the engine, even though I wasn't ready to kick the tail around and back it into the the hangar. I knew I had to stop it right now. So I stopped the engine as quickly as I could and I could still see about 20 revolutions of the propeller after I'd shut it off just from momentum. And I kept praying, God, don't let me hear a clunk because I couldn't see our son. He had come so close to the nose of the plane that I could not see him. Of course, a tail dragger leaves your head a little bit high. And this tail dragger did that. And I 
kept saying, God, keep him safe, keep him safe. And it finally stopped. I jumped out of the plane and gave him a hug and said, Joshua, don't you ever, <laughs> ever do this again. You don't run to the plane when the propeller is spinning. You know that. Yeah, I know that, Daddy, but I had to see you, you know, how kids can be. We feel like his guardian angel is on a special mission, <laughs> mission. that day. And put their hand or their wing right out in front of him. Living overseas, and for the Nelsons in the Philippines, provides an opportunity to try new foods and experience new cultures. But what happens when you want to enjoy your favorite cuisines from America? Well, you get creative. Becky shares her experiences making lasagna for her family while living in the Philippines. I also had an interest in duplicating some of the things from American culture into Philippine culture. For instance, I would make my own peanut butter. The Philippine peanut butter had a lot of sugar in it, and I didn't think that was too good for my kids. So we had a peanut farm not far away, and we could go there and get the raw peanuts, and I would roast them and make my own peanut butter, and it was delicious. That was easily accomplished. I also enjoyed um, making other things, uh, and lasagna was a very favorite of my family. Yes, I had to have <laughs> lasagna from time to time. So I'll tell you my experience with lasagna overseas. I began to make the list of things that I needed to get at the store. I needed to buy noodles and I needed to buy ground beef. And I would use cottage cheese instead of ricotta. We weren't that fussy. And I would use mozzarella cheese and all the things that go into lasagna and tomato sauce. But the problem is none of those things were at the store. So first I would have to make the noodles and I would have to roll them out by hand and then I would have to turn them and it took them five days to dry. I would have to turn them, hang them on a rack and turn them and turn them and turn them until they dried enough to be boiled. The second thing was my meat. You didn't go buy ground beef there. You had to go to the market and there's all these hunks of cows and pigs hanging there. And so I would bring home or my helper would do it for me. She would go down to the market and she would buy it and then I'd have to grind it up and, and then I could cook it as ground beef. My tomato sauce, I had to buy fresh tomatoes and cook those down. The cottage cheese, I had to take dried powdered milk and make cottage cheese out of that. It took me a week to make lasagna, but it took us about 10 minutes, ten minutes <laughs> to devour the whole casserole. So needless to say, I didn't make it very often. We always felt when we were in the Philippines that we wanted our children to understand that they were very important to us. They were, they were our first responsibility. And, and we sadly, didn't. we knew of so many missionaries who had mm -hmm. left the children to be cared for by their national house girl or their national helper. And uh, a lot of those kids became very bitter and felt like they were pushed aside as they grew up and grew older. And very few of them would go into ministry as adults because of their bitter experience as a missionary kid. One of the reasons I went to the trouble 
to say of making American foods is that I wanted our children to experience their own cultural foods and habits. We always spoke English in the home. We learned Cebuana to, to talk with our helpers, but I, I still wanted them to have those, those things that were unique to American culture. We often ate Filipino food, but we didn't do either exclusively. And we wanted our kids to have some of both cultures, not be so completely immersed in the Philippine culture that they would be very much a misfit when they came to the States. We had family nights every Friday night and being a pilot and only flying in the day was nice for that because when, when evening came, it was usually family time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had a lot of family activities with music, mm -hmm. with games, mm -hmm. uh, playing tennis back on the court when it was light enough before mm -hmm. the sunset and uh, stuff like that. We took the kids when Dave would be out probably two weekends traveling to preach and we always took the kids with us. So they all got immersed in the culture very well and we, we felt like we hoped and prayed that it was a good balance. Yeah, they learned to sing Philippine choruses in Cebuano. They, they learned to play with Filipino kids and get right. along very well. Learned all the language much quicker than they me, learned than the I language, did. but <laughs> the Filipino kids all wanted to practice their English oh, yes. with the Americanos. Oh, yes. <laughs> so that was part of the struggle too. Is is we were. We were not only learning, but having to teach. Yes. <laughs> The Nelson's journey as missionaries in the Philippines was redirected to a new region and eventually to a new field entirely as they kept their focus on keeping their family intact while serving the Lord. We left Malaybalay in 1981, I believe, and came back to the States for a furlough and we took back four children to Leyte, we were moving because they were moving the plane ministry up to Leyte from Malaybalay. Where, where more of the missionaries were going to be functioning. Yes. And much of the Malaybalay hospital had been so developed that it was able to yes. run uh, national doctors and nurses entirely without missionary supervision. So that worked really well. Mm -hmm. We maintained con uh, contact with that hospital quite a bit. And I was able to be on the board as a uh, uh, consultant for their hospital board. And I would uh, talk with them, share with them, and they would share with us the concerns they had. And we would make decisions. And I remember that that was a very interesting part of my experience. Never taught how to be a hospital administrator when I was a uh, pilot in training, but they said, you're going to expect a lot of different things to happen to you when you're on the mission field. And sure enough, it did. Yep. We did experience that. While we were in Leyte, we also had our second little girl, <clears throat> totaling five children. Up to that time, up to the time she was born, I had taught them, but I needed help. Uh, in fact, right before she was born, we brought out, or no, we had, you had to teach some, and our nurse had to teach some. And then we brought teachers out to help for about two and a half years. And by that time, 
It was almost the end of our second term and our oldest son was looking into junior high and high school. And we felt very committed to being with our kids while they were in school. Dave promised me we'd never have to send them away. And the Lord uh, led us to close the airplane ministry at that point. It was about six years in Leyte and then we moved to Manila and he became a teacher at Faith Academy for a year Amen. and then into administration with ABWE for a number of years. Yes, yeah, that was a totally different ministry and yet it was a stretching and, and preparing ministry for our future move back to Ithaca, New York. I was during a time of illness and we needed some rest and recovery from, from various health concerns. And while we were doing that, we got a letter from our home church saying, our pastor has to leave, and we wonder if you would consider coming and, and being our pastor. And so that gave me an opportunity to really pray with Becky about a change from an aviation ministry to a church pastor ministry. We would have to leave ABWE, but I always kept a in contact with ABWE for many years as I served as a ad advisory board member for about 20 years. You know, children watch the examples set by their parents. And as a missionary kid, Dave's hero and example was his late father, Link Nelson, who served as a medical missionary in the Philippines for several years. While reflecting on his childhood and the example that he saw, Dave had this story to share. Dad was my hero. I often followed his thoughts and ideas and wanted to be like him. We often, on, on Sundays, would shut the hospital down as much as we could, and, and we would head off to speak and, and provide music in a local church, maybe 10 miles, maybe, maybe 50 miles away. Dad would always drive, and I would ride along with him. I would be the accordion carrier. He was an accordion player and loved to have that accordion with him. And sometimes we had to walk quite a ways and a Filipino uh, gentleman would often ask if he could carry the accordion. But when we got to the tent where the meeting was set up or to the small church, he would get that accordion out and get it ready to play. And all the kids would run right to the front to watch this funny new instrument play music. And dad was so good on the accordion as well as the piano that people just loved to hear it and, and would sing at the top of their voices as we would get into a song. So he would accompany with his accordion and I would sing as best as I could along with it. I never did learn what those little black buttons were for. I recognized the piano keys on the one side, but I never did f figure out how to play the instrument, but he could do it. He did it well and we, the people really considered it a real blessing when he came. What stuck with me the most was my dad's humility. He never wanted people to think that he was above them or more important because of his medical training and experiences. And he always wanted people just to feel like they could talk to him and, and share their questions and burdens and, and that he was their friend, not, not above them and uh, not uh, better than they were. So I tried to follow that in my life as I became a missionary. Sometimes they looked at pilots over there as close to a, an angel, like you're up in the sky, you must have magic magic powers and, 
you must be a very special person. And I would always shake my head, no, no, I'm just an ordinary guy. I learned how to manage an aircraft and how to repair it and all of that. But I'm not any special person. I'm just a regular person who loves to be here and loves to share my love for Christ with you. Serving the Lord as a missionary takes you many unexpected directions, and the Lord may shift your priorities and calling as you go. The Nelsons experienced this during their life as they moved from aviation to administration and to pastoring a church. The Nelsons remind us that no matter where you serve or the size and scope of your ministry, God will use you as you follow his calling on your life. God isn't locked into a box. He has plans for us that we don't know about sometimes. And uh, he may change the direction you're going, even on the mission field, to a direction that he wants you to go in, in the future. And so missionaries have to be flexible, be willing to take up a task they weren't trained to do, and do their best at learning how to do that task and honor the Lord in that task as well. It works in homes as well, right, Becky? Yes. God primarily wants our obedience, and we often think that if we go to the mission field, that will be all we need to do. But, you know, the scripture says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that doesn't mean that we accept Jesus and we're done because we have to grow. And the older we get, the more that we realize that we have to continue to grow. We have to continue to learn. And God may bring hard things into our lives, but he's there for us. Some things happen on the field and that are wonderful. And a lot of times we get the impression that we need to keep track of the people who got saved in a book or the people you know, who came to our home for dinner in a book so that we can show this when we go back to the Philippines or go back to the States, excuse me. And some people write very glowing letters. What do they call prayer letters? Prayer letters. Some people can write just glowing prayer letters. Well, that's a good thing to be able to do, but hopefully you carried it out too. I think that when we finally came back to the States and settled, I have often felt over the years, did what I did, that's not a correct use of English, but did it matter? Did it make a difference? And recently I was speaking with a Filipino who said something to me that was not a reflection of anybody else's ministry but mine. And she was thanking me. And, you know, I thanked the Lord for that because there have been a lot of years when I felt like, does anybody even remember that we were there? Hmm. Yeah. God does. He does. That's the important thing. And that's what we have to focus on. Yeah, He keeps the ultimate records, doesn't he? Yes. Mm. And if you, because for us now, ministering to our two little, we have a lot of grandchildren, but we take care of two of them and showing them about Jesus and mm. just teaching them the things we can is just precious moments, precious moments. Mm. Mm. So 
take those moments and love them and give them to God, it's important for us all to remember that we're all significant in God's eyes, no matter the job that He gives us. And the important thing is to find out what His will is, and He will give you joy in it as you obey. <laughs> Dave and Becky Nelson faithfully served the Lord in the Philippines and in the U.S., following the path that He laid for them. Now, they enjoy the ministry of loving their grandchildren, continuing the emphasis of loving their family and reaching that mission field first, leading the next generation to Christ. After all, missions begins at the breakfast table, and we cannot win the nations but lose our own households. Cloud of Witnesses is a production of ABWE. I'm your host, Alex Kochman. Our production director is Grant Boring. Our researcher and interviewer is Jay York. Production support is provided by Brian Van Timmeren. Additional voiceovers by Jason Younger. Get equipped to make disciples and learn more about how you can reach the nations at abwe.org. Cloud of Witnesses is a production of ABWE. ABWE is a global family of ministries reaching more than 80 countries by sharing Christ planting churches, and training Christian leaders. After nearly 100 years, ABWE is continuing to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You can help us advance the kingdom for the next 100 years and beyond by supporting the mission through the Global Gospel Fund. Learn more at abwe.org forward slash cloud.